Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's uh, weekly podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm here with Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is uh, Representative Javier Becerra of the 34th District. Yes, in Los uh, Angeles. In downtown Los Angeles, but a a member of Sacramento's community, long-standing graduate of McClatchy High School, where my daughters went, by the way, much later than you did. Uh-huh. Um, and also, I've heard you described many times, and I assume it was true because I said this in a story, as the fourth powerful member, fourth most powerful member of Congress and the ranking Latino in the United States House of Representatives. So. I'll take it, whether it's true or not. Okay. Uh, of course, the reason you're here is because, hey, you used to work for Art Torres, and you were in the Assembly, so there's a state political... Uh, connection here. Yeah. And also we've got Anthony Martinez, the communications person. Probably won't be talking much, but make sure I don't screw it up. So. As you're hearing the bells in the background, that's because we are right here on K Street uh, at Ambrosia, so everyone will be listening in. There's our light rail this parking by in the way. So. Don't be jealous that we've got a couple of coffee uh, cups out here and enjoying the nice weather on a November day in Sacramento. So why are you here in Sacramento? What's, why now? California is an important state, as goes California, so will the nation, and we've got some really heated uh, congressional races going on here in our state. I I would not have said that in a delegation of 53 members in the House from California, 39 of them coming from the Democratic side, that we could gain an additional one, two, three, maybe even four seats, but we're on the cusp of winning more seats from our Republican counterparts, and it's a great thing. So I'm here in Sacramento helping Ami Barra, colleague, uh-huh. uh, someone who I hope will win, and uh, from here I'm hoping to help out Michael Eggman, who's running against Jeff Denham, okay. just a little south of us in the Modesto area. Uh, we've got uh, Emilio Huerta engaged in a real tough battle against David Valadeo in, in the more Fresno, Bakersfield area. Central Valley. Yeah, and uh, L.A. County, we make we may beat the last Republican who's got a substantial portion of L.A. County in Congress, uh, Steve Knight. Uh, Brian Caforio has run just a f- phenomenal campaign, a great candidate. I think he's going to win. And then, lo and behold, the richest man in Congress, Daryl Issa. I was going to ask you about in that. In the San Diego, Orange County area, Republican member, maybe on the verge of losing to a, just a really stand-up guy, uh, Doug Applegate. Have you, and, seen, have you seen polling? I saw yes. one poll... Uh, this is about three weeks ago, but it was a Democratic. Uh, it, it sounded like a push poll, but it had Applegate doing really well. But have you seen anything else in that that shows a race is tight? The the polls that I have seen or have heard about show it all in the margin of error both ways, uh, whether it's uh, Democrats winning or Republicans winning. But it's within that margin, which means it's tight. And I'd have to say that uh, given that, the, the the momentum is with Doug Applegate, the Democrat. Well, and it has never it hasn't been tight in. A decade or longer with ISA. Yeah, you could have finished the sentence after it hasn't been tight. Period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is not a race that most people predicted, and it's a it's a race that demonstrates what's going on in this election. You know, I used to be editor of the Vista Press. I went to San Diego, San Diego State, uh, and, and Vista Press was my first daily paper. And I know that district, or at least the way it was then. We're talking, you know, mid late seventies. Yes. Okay, it's changed a little bit, probably. But mm-hmm. there is no way that a Democrat could get elected down there. There's no way even that a moderate Republican is my memory of it. Uh, at that time, I think um, Metzger, one of the Ku Klux Klan people, lived in Fallbrook. <laughs> the retired military from Camp Pendleton were extremely conservative, very, very conservative. 
the fact that it's a race now, and part of the district now, I think is Orange County. Right? Yeah. So the fact there is a race now is kind of amazing. Now are you are you going to be going down there and campaigning? I'm hoping to head my head all the way down to that part of the state. Yeah. So I have these last several days to campaign, help some of our Democratic candidates that are out there. I'm hoping to hit as many of the, the districts as possible and, and try to help as much as I can. Will you be in California and not... Arizona is supposed is a fight now. I understand, and Nevada is a fight. I, I just came in from Colorado, uh, Colorado, and I'm going to spend these last days in my state, and certainly some of the time in my city of Los Angeles. But I did um, I did or, uh, Colorado uh, earlier this week. I was in Arizona, Nebraska, and Texas la- the week before. I uh, was in Minnesota, wow. uh, Nevada, and. Um, I'm blanking now. It's, I've been to a lot of places, but uh, been to a lot of different states, mostly the battleground states and quite a few of our battleground congressional districts. And But I wanted to make sure that my last week or so before the election I spent in California. Now, do you have any predictions on on pickups, on how many, if, if any, how many pickups the Democrats would... Tim, I, I, I first should preface by saying I'm the son of immigrants, so I'm, a, I'm an optimist, right? <laughs> I don't have a choice but to be an optimist when you're the son of immigrants. And uh, I believe it's going to be a very good year for Democrats from Hillary Clinton on down. And it wouldn't surprise me if of the 30 congressional seats Democrats have to win, we come close, if not surpass. Uh, I, I would, I'd be willing to lay money that we're in the 20s right now wow. in the number of seats that we could gain. Yeah. And would you put that as just positive? Like, obviously, Obama has very positive ratings, you know, more or less positive ratings, given given where we are in, yes. this, in this situation, and also to Trump, which which do you think plays more heavily? I, I think part of it is Democrats are enthusiastic, uh, our demographics are helping, and so uh, in California, Hillary Clinton I think has a lead of about twenty points. Yeah. So we we're happy with our presidential nominee, and we're getting out there showing our enthusiasm, and it, then it, it also helps that we're making it very clear we don't like the other side of the table. And we don't like who the Republicans have nominated, not just Donald Trump, but down the line, especially since so many of the Republican candidates are trying to run and hide from Donald Trump. And so that's all uh, helping us make the case that it's time for some change. And that's why of a delegation of 53 House members, uh, Democrats could gain from the 39 and actually increase to up to 43, 44. How do you see, um, uh, you know, mentioned polls, how do, you, how do you see the polling? We talked, Tim and I talked to... Um, uh, Buffy Wicks a couple of weeks ago, Democratic, you know, was doing Hillary during the during the primary, yeah. and she was saying that she didn't trust public polling. And I know when we see public poll, I mean, the only polls I can report on are field poll, for example, or PPIC or our own polling. Uh, is there a big difference between those secret internal tracking polls and what I'm reporting out there, what we're reporting out there, is public poll? Uh, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that um, your polls are probably done with little suspicion that you're trying to lean them one way or the other, whereas an internal tracking poll, everyone always says, well, yeah, of course, it's a Republican tracking poll or a Democratic tracking poll. But no, in the sense that um, those tracking polls probably are the best guess of the polls of voters going into the election. And so while you can't guarantee that any particular poll is more accurate than another, if you're tracking, you're seeing tendencies. And tendencies are very important in an election because you begin to see where the momentum is, where the loss of support is, and that shows up much more 
in a tracking poll that continues to give you a sense of the race versus an instantaneous look that you may get from some neutral poll that gives you the heartbeat on one uh, one day. Are there, are there any websites or any polls you go to uh, that you are comfortable with, you rely on, that you feel are accurate, and some you don't? I mean, we have our own favorites yeah. and non-favorites. I, I, I tend to look at the polar polls, so the different uh, entities will take a look at all the different polls and give you a, a sort of a, an average or a consensus uh-huh. of where those polls are heading. To me, that's a that's similar to what a tracking poll does because it gives you more than just a gauge of one poll on one day of a certain number of people. It's giving you a, a sense of the overall sh- shifting mood of the of the electorate. When you uh, uh, when you go out to the various states, including California, what do you see the biggest obstacle is? You're a Hillary supporter. What do you see the biggest op- op- what What's the message you have to get across to people that you're meeting about Hillary, who may be on the, you know, maybe undecided? I don't know if there are many of them left. But. You know, uh, uh, it's it's more on the on the Democratic side. It's make sure you vote because there are so many Democrats or Democratic leaning voters who end up not going to the polls. Right. If we could just get all those who lean towards Democrats to vote this country would be getting a whole lot more done. You know, and the early numbers are showing, uh, surprisingly, I think, uh, that uh, some of the African-American vote for Hillary is not as strong as it was in 2012. Not an African-American on the ballot, but it, not as strong. But the Latino vote has come out extremely strong. And at the end of the day, that may be, I don't know how close, obviously, the election is going to be, and that may be a deciding factor. And I'd say take a look at those numbers on the African-American community. I think you're going to find that they're better than people are beginning to say because you're seeing some surging in some of the important states like North Carolina, Ohio, uh, Florida. Uh, but no doubt, the Latino vote throughout the country uh, seems to be moving heavily towards Democrats and in bigger numbers than even people were predicting. So that's that's obviously very good for Democrats. But for just for someone like me who's been working at this for a long time, who has wanted to see people just get out and vote, it's very good. There was a... Uh, column uh, in the B, Dan Moraine wrote, uh, I guess it was 2015, and he said, you know, the numbers, here are the real numbers. He was talking about poll numbers and demographics. He said, real numbers are 75, 76, and 75. Those are the ages of Nancy Pelosi, Poyer, <laughs> and Clyburn. And so, and here you are, young, a young guy. So, if the Democrats uh, could get the Congress... You know, maybe if, even if they get 20 seats, I think they're cutting. I think it's 30 is what they got to do. Yeah. Okay, but if they got them, uh, and you're the young guy, are we talking to a future speaker right here, or instead of a future, are, are, instead of you, a past Art Torres <laughs> staff member? You, you could take the question mark off of that statement if you'd like. Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, they see the optimist emerges. <laughs> exactly. Uh, again, you're talking to a kid who didn't know how to apply to Stanford University and, and got in and I don't know what's going to come before me but I know it not to get in the way of it and just work hard as I constantly tell folks if I just work hard and do well at it something good's going to happen and just have to be ready for it I mean don't don't get caught flat footed because something's in the window's going to open and you better be ready to jump so if I stay on my toes who knows what can happen? I'm blessed to be where I am. I am thrilled to have had a chance to serve in Congress for 24 years. Can something more come of it? If, if so, I'll be ready. Uh, but I, you know, honestly, John, I, I can't. I can't tell you. I know what's going to happen. I I thoroughly 
respect and admire what Nancy Pelosi has done. She has the energy of 10, and she has the, uh, the, the might and the heft of more than 10. And so, so long as she wants to be leader, I think you're going to find uh, I, I will be supportive of her. And something good will come for me, as it already has. And so long as my wife stays married to me, I'm, I'm in good shape. <laughs> How about administratively? If uh, Hillary gets in, there's a, obviously uh, there's a possibility. We even we did a story on you as a potential VP pick. We did that. It was clickbait. Sort of. <laughs> but um, is that something you'd be looking at? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say no to anything that's productive that lets me make a big difference for my country. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll see. Uh, but I had eight years ago a chance to go to the administration when. Uh, then President-elect Obama offered me the trade ambassador position, the USTR position, uh -huh, okay. and I thought really hard about it because it was something that was I found attractive. At that point, though, in 08, if you remember, we had just won the White House, we had the House and the Senate, we were poised to do some really big things, immigration reform, health care reform, tax reform, energy policy, and so I thought, and I just entered into House Democratic leadership, I thought to myself, is this the right time for me to leave? And I decided to stay. I gave up a chance to be in the cabinet then. Uh, I'll go through the same analysis now. But as I said, so long as I'm on my toes, I should be in a good position. Okay. One last question. Uh, the view we get here in, in Sacramento is similar to the view we used to get here of our own legislature when it was mired in dysfunction and it was uh, very partisan. The partisan divide was apparent. It seemed like nothing much got done. That's the kind of view we have of that is the view we have of D.C. now. But the next Congress, when it comes in, however these elections shake out, presumably the House is still going to be closely divided. Yes. Um, what's the ability to work across the partisan lines? I mean, I'm thinking of Trump and all that atomic bomb he's thrown into the campaign. Yeah. Does that change the calculus? Well, we'll see what happens on November 9th with the Republican Party. Will it still be the party of Trump? And uh, where do they go? They are, on November 9th, they're still going to be engaged in their internal civil war. That won't change. What the results will be, no one can predict, but I think most of us, including Democrats, I think would want to see that resolved because you need a robust, functioning uh, party, two-party, in a two-party system. You need at least two functioning parties. And so I'd like to see Republicans decide who they want to be, even if they go further to the right. Not that that's something I'd like. But at least we know where they are anchored, and then you can work with them knowing where they're anchored and go from there. Uh, but here's where it helps to have someone in the White House who's experienced everything, who's taken every punch and gotten back up and knows how to counterpunch. Because to get things done, you got to be able to deal with the, the friendliest and, and the most adversarial of the bunch. And that's where I think Hillary Clinton is president is really going to serve us well. We've got to get some stuff done. There's so much that's been bottlenecked over these last several years. And I think most Americans would tell you, at the end of the day, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. I just want to know you're getting stuff done. Fair enough. Javier Becerra, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for being on our podcast. Please, thank you. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. This is John Howard of Capital Weekly uh, saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.